0: series called Acts, the world's greatest construction project. So I thought I would preach in a orange vest today. Fun. But before I do that, I was convicted this week watching a lot of the information on uh, ISIS and our response to it. And uh, I did this the last time. I think uh, when I was at Denton Bible Church, we We gathered together for prayer, and it was a good reason we gathered together, because the Bible tells us to pray for those who persecute you, and to pray for your enemies. And I was convicted because it came across my desk, this Prayer for Muslim Lands by Samuel N. uh, Zwimmer, 1867 to 1952. I want to read you his prayer, and then just pray for our enemies, and those who would... uh, Attack not only America, but more importantly, the Christian faith. This is what uh, Mr. Zwimmer said Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, who has made of one blood all nations and has promised that many shall come from the east and sit down with Abraham in thy kingdom, we pray for thy prodigal son in the Muslim lands who are still afar off, that they may be brought nigh by the blood of Christ. Look upon them in pity because they are ignorant of thy truth. Take away pride of intellect and blindness of heart and reveal to them the surpassing beauty and power of thy Son, Jesus Christ. Convince them of their sin in rejecting the atonement of the only Savior. Give moral courage to those who love thee, that they may boldly confess thy name. Hasten the day of religious freedom in Turkey, Arabia, Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan, and North Africa. Those countries sound familiar? This was back, we'll guess, in the 40s sometime. Send forth reapers where the harvest is, ripe and faithful plowmen to break furrows and lands still neglected. May the tribes of Africa and Malaysia not fall prey to Islam. I would add to that uh, England. I would add to that France. But be one for Christ. Bless the ministry of healing in every hospital and the ministry of love in at every church and mission, may all Muslim children in mission schools be led to Christ and accept Him as their personal Savior. Strengthen converts, restore backsliders, and give all those who labor among Muslims the tenderness of Christ, so that the bruised reeds may become pillars of His church, and smoking flax wicks, burning and shining lights. Make Bear Thine arm, O God, and show Thy power. All our expectation is from Thee. Father, the hour has come. Glorify Thy Son in the Muslim world and fulfill. Fulfill through him the prayer of Abraham, thy friend. Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. For Jesus' sake, amen. Father, we just, uh, as I've read that prayer, we lift it up to you now. In the same vein as it was wrote, that we pray for our enemies and those who would persecute us. And we pray for our brothers and sisters who are in those countries who are standing firm for the word. Lord, might the world see the greatness of our God. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, we are in a series. It just began last week. Last week was really, and most every time I start a new book of the Bible, uh, most everything I do is just a review of the whole Scripture. So if we start a new book next spring, uh, you can just plan on getting a review of the entire Scriptures as that first sermon. Because every book falls into a bigger uh, picture. It falls into a bigger um, story. Of the creation of the world, the fall of mankind, the redemption in Jesus Christ, and the restoration of all things. It's God's grace to the sinner, and the saved sinner goes global. And so last week, we looked at two things. We ended with two works in progress. We're going to do that every week through this series. May not always have the uh, visual aids, but we'll always have a work in progress because that is what we are. And the first one was get caught up in the story, read Acts, and or read your Bible, the whole thing. Not in one sitting. I mean, if you could, that would be pretty cool. If you listen to it, it would only take 72 hours. Did you know that? Listen to the whole Bible. Have a weekend of just consumed with Scripture. And join the glocal. That is not a misprint. That is on purpose. Join the glocal church because we are a local church that goes global. And so you put those together, you get glocal. Yes, I coined the term or stole it from somebody. I don't know. But remember, uh, the greatest way to be creative is forgetting where you got it. Uh, yeah. And so Jesus' community, the church, is being built in the world. It's in metros. It's in cities. It's in our town. It's in our valley. And so as, they, as you see around this city, as you see, there's a new, there's a new uh, face of eagle. It'll never look the same. So we're building a city on the hill, and I just saw it yesterday. I was driving home from a soccer game, and it was my first time to drive into our town and see the pedestrian bridge, and it is there. It is being built that, that this town is building itself, and it's actually on the, it's on the front page of the Free Enterprise, and it said, uh, Welcome to Change. And now by, there it had by the numbers. This is the pedestrian bridge by the numbers. And so what I wanted to show you is what we're building. And we're going to use the book of Acts to do that. And so you should have a handout in front of you or near you called Acts by the Numbers or the Facts of Acts. It is one book and one author. It's an adventure story, a book of transition. It is the second volume of a larger work by Dr. Luke, who's also a capable historian. It is true to history. It's robust in theology. It's apologetic in ministry. It has 28 chapters, 1,007 verses. Last week, we covered one. Today, we'll get through 14. Uh, The dates on that, you can either go after 8070 or before 8070, the fall of Jerusalem. But it's because if you were to go to the end of the book, you would notice that there is such an abrupt ending to the book of Acts. And Luke, being a capable historian, you would never think if the fall of Jerusalem had happened, he would leave that out. And so most assuredly, it is written before A.D. 70. The outline, there's two big uh, figures, Peter and Paul, based on Galatians 2.18. Peter is the apostle to the Jews. Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. And then if you were to go, and like you will show you today on the f- verse in 1.8, that we are to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and the remotest parts of the earth. The structure, think of Judges, it's cyclical. The gospel is preached. People respond. People reject. And God protects his church and spreads his church through the preaching of the gospel. And you often see that in frequent summaries. Lots of summaries in there. And the word of God spread and the church grew. Uh, There's this ongoing narrative. It's a story. But there's pictures of adventure. There's travel. You'll see Paul on a boat later on in the story. You see heroes step up. The key hero being Jesus Christ himself. What you will learn, and I'll spend more time on this uh, next week or the week after, that Acts is a book of transition. And it's very descriptive. But just because it's written in Acts doesn't mean it's prescriptive for our life. It is a narrative. And many weird views of Christian theology can be traced back to some weird interpretation in the book of Acts. We'll look at more on this in chapter 2. But just, just... think about this. God is absolutely sovereign. Do you believe that? Then he has you and I here in Eagle County in 2014. If he wanted you and I to live in 8060 in the early church, we would have been born then. Right? So there are certain things that always transfer, but it's impossible for us to go back there and say, I want to be an Acts 2 church. We don't live in the same there's my other visual aid. More on that in a minute. We don't live in the same era. We don't even live in the same millennium. And so it's impossible for us to try to say we're going to be an axe to church. I understand the heart behind it. But let us be wise and see what what stays there and what actually does transfer. And so I gave you this uh, Puritan like theme that kind of captures the big theme and it actually unfolds the blueprint. The acts of a sovereign God of the the sovereign God who acts through the ministry of his son, by the power of his spirit, in the mission of his people. Let me read these first 14 verses, and then I will pray. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew. Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is clear. We thank you that it captures what you want to tell us about yourself, about salvation, about the mission. I pray now as we look at the blueprint of the church that you would be honored, our faith would be strengthened, and we would go out of here bold to share the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Blueprints. These are blueprints. I'm not going to open them up because I don't want to have to put them back together. But these are the blueprints of a certain house in a certain part of Colorado. And these are important. Because if you were to ever, if I were to ever, Lord willing, someday, I don't know when, acquire some land. I go to my friends and I say, I want you to build a house for me. And they say, do you have any blueprints? I say, no, what are blueprints? They said, we need blueprints. We need to know what you're thinking. We need to know the specifications so we build them to order. So if there are any changes, we can always go back to the original plans. We can always go back and change something, but we need to go back and check the original. Blueprints are important. Specifications are important. Uh, They're so important. there was a house that was being built in Mexico that got feet and meters mixed up and so we we have a house with nine foot door frames, right? We get feet and meters mixed up, and you go to this house and they were just following the blueprints and there was discussion as to how this happened and they go and they look and they check the original plans. And lo and behold, what should have been three feet was three meters, and so you get this weird-looking house. But they didn't. They didn't. Uh, they didn't understand the concept. That you have to change certain things on the blueprints if you're in different parts of the world. We're on that a little later. But the the necessity, the need that we need to see is that we too are builders in God's kingdom, and to execute His building project, we have a blueprint, and it's right here in front of us in Acts one through fourteen. And in the big picture, the preview of this is you're going to see the ministry of Jesus for the kingdom of God by the power of the Spirit in the preaching of the gospel and the mission of the church. That all unfolds in these first 14 verses. Notice in verses 1 and 2, it's the ministry of Jesus that's still going on. In the first book of Theophilus, I've dealt with all this Jesus began to do and teach. He's still working until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. The gospel of Luke, like we said last week, fits into the whole canon of Scripture, and Jesus' work on earth had only just begun. It shows the end of his earthly ministry and the beginning of his heavenly one. Hebrews tells us that he sits at the right hand of God the Father, and he's Up there until the father tells him to come, he's still at work. And because he's still at work, and I learned this at a pastors' conference this week, we can chill out. (laughs) We can't. Now that doesn't mean that we uh, don't sweat and do the hard work. That doesn't mean we stamp our fingers and the chairs got set up. No, we are grateful that Reed David called me. He said, "I'll do it," and I said, "Really?" And he said, "Yep." And I said, "I will see you there, my friend. I'll give you the keys." be warm, be filled. No, I stayed and showed him showed him how to do it. But I learned something this week at a pastor's conference. One of my favorite pastors, Larry Osborne, said this of Proverbs 21, 30 and 31. No wisdom, no understanding, no counsel can avail against the Lord. Sounds like Matthew 16, 18. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail over it. And then that next verse, the horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. And you know what he said from the Pastor Larry Osborne is was, was helping us out. And he said, you prepare the horses and go take a nap. He said, go take a nap. And that's what I'm going to do today to live out what I learned at this conference. I'm going to preach and I'm going to go home and take a nap. And we should too. We should serve well. We should Reed's going to go home and take a nap. And we should go home and we should realize we're going to put our effort into this. He's still at work, but because he's still at work, I can prepare the horses and watch him work. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, a God like you who works for those who wait on him. Now, it's not a waiting and twiddling the thumbs. It's an act of waiting. But the idea is the atonement is finished. The work is done. I would change one lyric on victory in Jesus. I was raised on that lyric. I'm Baptist, love it. I was toe-tapping. You probably saw it. But I didn't win the victory. He plunged me to victory. I didn't win the victory. He won the victory. The atonement is finished. Jesus said it himself in John nineteen thirty. But the advancement of that gospel, the advancement of the message of the atonement is ongoing. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. And you will see next spring that Acts ends abruptly. You get to 28 and you're like, that was not a good ending, Dr. Luke. But Luke did it on purpose. The, the message is still going forth. So much so, there's an organization uh, out there today called Acts 29 based upon that theology that the work that jesus begun is still going on and he's he did it he's doing it primarily through the churches but again like ephesians 2 said through the foundation of the apostles and you see that in verse 3 he jesus presented himself alive to them the apostles after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of god And so he appeared to the apostles, and he would appear to others. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that. But in the end of 2, it said he he gave the commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Dr. John Stott gave us four things from this particular passage. It goes into verses 21 and 22, as you'll see next week. Four things for a capital A apostle. There were 12 of them. Number one, they were chosen. You see that in verse two, they were chosen by Jesus personally. Paul later on in 915 was chosen by Jesus personally. He was knocked off his horse. He said, Lord, uh, he said, Jesus said to Paul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus was speaking to Paul. Paul even said in Galatians, I didn't receive this from men nor through the counsel of man. I received it from Jesus Christ personally. And all were eyewitnesses to him. All of them were eyewitnesses to Jesus. They saw Jesus with their eyes. You'll see that next week in Acts 1, 21 and 22, where they're trying to choose uh, the next apostle because Judas had given up his position. They're trying to choose. And they said, who went out with us and saw Jesus? And they were given commands as verse two. And it expands in three through five. They were given commands by Jesus and they were empowered by the spirit. So if you hear today of anyone, the apostle, the apostle so-and-so, hopefully they're calling themselves little A apostles, not big A apostles. Big A apostles do not exist. They do, they're not anymore. They're in heaven, they're waiting that time where, where they, there will be 12 thrones that they get to sit upon, says the gospels. John Stott said it like this, Of course, in a secondary sense, all the disciples of Jesus can claim that he has chosen us, revealed himself to us, commissioned us as his witnesses, and both promised and given his spirit. Nevertheless, it is not to these general privileges that Luke is referring here, but to the special qualifications of an apostle, a personal appointment as an apostle of Jesus, as an eyewitness experience of the historical Jesus and authorizing and commissioned by Jesus to speak in His name, and the empowering of the Spirit to inspire their teaching. The Spirit went right alongside with them to affirm their teaching. It was primarily these uniquely qualified men through Jesus continued to do and to teach, and to whom Luke intends to introduce us to and act. Does that mean you and I are different to some degree? The foundation has been laid, Ephesians 2 says, upon Jesus Christ. He's the chief cornerstone in the apostles. But the same spirit who indwelt them indwells of the same message that they carried, we carry. And we are guided and, and, and we proclaim the same thing in a different manner. And so in 3 through 14, he's going to give this commission. He presented himself alive After his suffering. And so you see the death and burial of Jesus, and then you see the resurrection of Jesus by many proofs. Not just a few proofs, many proofs. Appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. You could say he was casting vision, he was talking about this kingdom of God where God rules. One day there will be an earthly rule of Jesus, this millennial kingdom that we believe in. Right now there's this mediatorial kingdom where he is, he is literally in heaven at God's right hand. When you are saved, it says you are, you are transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. That's what he's coming back someday to do. Right now we're living between the times. I have an image for you to show you how we're living between the times. There is the spiritual realm that Jesus is reigning. It's the dashed line, and it has taken over, and it is consuming. This is why I have great confidence that no uh, militant band in the world who thinks they're going to take over the world will ever conquer this because Jesus Christ has started and it's inaugurated and he's going to take over the world. And he's asking us to join him as his soldiers and here in this series as his builders. Talking about the kingdom of God where he rules and the heavenly is now breaking into the earthly and one day he will take over. And so if you wanted to get... Uh, super detailed about it from where you're sitting That where that line crosses there uh, on my right, your left. That is Jesus's birth and his first advent. And we live between the times and one day he will come back and that circle will consume and it will just be one circle while Jesus reigns over the entire new heavens and new earth. Verse three is somewhat of a summary. And then he gives the detail. And while they were staying with him, He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Other versions say while he was staying, they have a note on there, while he was eating with them. It's an interesting word in the Greek. And I believe he was sharing this vision over a meal. We've done a whole series on it called Food Network, Passing on the Gospel to the next generation of people around the table. Every time we sit down to have a meal, it is a chance for us to proclaim the gospel to our children, to our friends, to our neighbors, to our business associates. And they will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The baptism here, if you look it up, it talks about immersion. It talks about being soaked with the Spirit. And that is is what—that is why we practice believer's baptism. It is a picture of the death. with We died with Christ. We we're raised with him to wash the newness of life. And as that water pours over you and soaks you, so you've been baptized with the Spirit. There is in Ephesians 4, one baptism. There are not multiple baptisms. Where, uh, you know, you get baptized once, you just identify with Jesus, and then you get this special baptism where you can speak funny things, and then the third one where you can do holy laughter. That's just in, uh, uh, it's just wrong. i will just say it like that. Well, oh, well Judd, what about, uh, it seems to be in the book of Acts, that they were baptized once, and then the Spirit came, and then the Spirit came, and they were baptized. Yes, it's called the book of transition. And we'll work through every passage when we come to that. But there is one baptism. Titus 3, 4, and 5 says, But when the goodness of the loving kindness of our God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. Here it is, by the washing or the baptism of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit who was, they were baptized with is the same one we are as well. And so in verse 6, when they had come together, they asked Him, Lord... Will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel to Israel, the kingdom of God? Will you restore it to Israel? It's a good question. Because they were anticipating, here's Jesus. He died. He's actually rose from the dead. We can see him. We can touch him. Thomas went in. He had to touch his hands. He said, unless I see the holes in his hands, I will not believe. And he said, good for you, Thomas. Check them out. Blessed is he who believes and does not see. That's you and I, that does not see. So they were thinking, this is it, Jesus, this is it. What, 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 do, you, what do you want to grab? M16, we're, let's do this. And he said, no, no, it's, that, that's not how we're going to do this. He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. God the Father knows exactly when this is going to happen, and he'll tell me to do it. You see, there's a hierarchy even within the Trinity. But you, here's what you should do. Key verse to the entire book. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That is the theme verse of the book of Acts. Jesus, are you going to do this conquering right now? It's not for you to know. And so we had a little, so what they were having was a little eschatology Q&A with Jesus. Jesus on the end times. And he says this, you can't know. It's not for you to know. (laughs) Thanks, Jesus. Um, I'll read you a quote. A wise preacher dealing with this passage, this one was talking about Matthew 24, but it can easily be inserted here, may find particular value in focusing on this point that you can't know. When Jesus gives instructions concerning future events, his purpose is not to satiate our curiosity or call all our speculative questions, right? I just went this morning, I was reviewing my notes, and I thought, well, I'll just take every 10 years and think about it. 1981, the Iran-Contra scandal, and all of a sudden, this is, this is uh, Jesus is coming back tomorrow. And then 10 years later, there was the Gulf War. And then you had a lot of preachers just, oh, get ready, here he comes. And then 10 years later in 9-11, this is it. The end times are upon us. And then in 2012, the war on terror. And it seems like every 10 years this happens. And every 10 years, I'm going to say the same thing. We don't know. Because the last days, according to the New Testament, have been the last days for a long, long time. Paul was thinking they were the last days. So that's 2,000 years. So if we're, you know, if I, the Lord blesses me, with longevity and a new drug to stay alive for another 2,000 years, I'll probably be saying, see, we don't know. Probably not. You Got to shirt, a joke in every now and then, Bradley, just to make sure people are paying attention. We don't know. We're not supposed to know. So I love going to any, well, not any, but some conferences on the uh, end times, Eschatology is the big theological word, but at the end of the day, we know one thing's for certain. Jesus is coming back, and he will judge. He said, you cannot know, but in verse 8, he says, you can go. In the power of the spirit, that is God's presence with his people. God, God, the father, Jesus is sitting next to God, the father. But Jesus said over and over in the book of John, I will not leave you alone. I will send my Holy Spirit. That is the Holy Spirit. He is with us. And so he is our power. He, the tri- the third person of the triune God lives within us. It, he, it's sealed within us says Ephesians 2, or Ephesians 1. And so for us to build, to accomplish, to work out, the blueprints of God's plan on earth, we have to walk in accordance to the Spirit, not according to the flesh. If we walk according to the flesh, I think there's just basically three things that happen. We, we walk ignorantly, like Apollos did, where he had to be taught, we'll see that later on in the book of Acts, the way of God more accurately. you are just ignorant. They, we just don't know, literally. Not using that term pejoratively. Or we're ignoring, that we know what we need to know, but we're afraid sometimes. Paul had to say to Timothy, you have not been given a spirit of fear. Timothy needed to be admonished. Guard through the spirit, the gospel that's been entrusted to you. And we're not to be like those believers of revelation, lukewarm, indifferent. Yeah. Yeah, I, I read the Bible once. Yeah, I think. I, I mean, yeah, I believe Jesus is coming back. I, This whole building the kingdom thing, I mean, isn't that, aren't you just wearing the vest just for show? No. It's to prove a point. We're we're builders. We're all called to build. But isn't that just for like pastors and elders and really zealous people? No. That's for all of us. More more on that in a second. But we're called to be, as it says here, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes comes upon you. This is a promise. You will receive power. Jesus doesn't make promises he doesn't keep. And you will be my witnesses, my maturas, my martyrs is where you get the the word there, martyrs. But the idea behind the word witness, there's three ways. It's one who testifies to the truth. There is an an ethical sense that as people see my life, it is a witness. Does he really behave as he believes? There's a historical sense, right? Uh, They were eyewitnesses to what Jesus did. We go on faith based upon what we read in the scriptures. And the key one here, the first definition of witness is there is a legal sense. We are required to give testimony to the one who has saved us. You will be. He made a promise. You will receive power and you will be this. This It's just something that's going to happen. If you're a believer in Jesus, you will be a witness and you will be a good witness. Anybody ever seen the movie A Few Good Men? I couldn't get this video edited. So I'll just read you the transcript. Great scene where where (coughs) Kathy does a wonderful job. If you're ever wanting your kids go into law school, this is a good one. He just he took every little bit of piece of information he had and he got the person to admit their guilt. He was a good lawyer. He he stayed within his realms. And at one time, he pointed over to Airman O'Malley and Airman Rodriguez and he said he was going to bring them to the stand. And so after this big trial and in uh, the general goes home, the opposing lawyer, Captain Ross, played by Kevin Bacon, who, I mean, come on, is he not in every movie? He says, "Airman Cecil and O'Malley and Anthony Rodriguez, what exactly were those guys going to testify to? What were they going to be witnesses to? And Cruz says, unless I'm mistaken, they were going to testify under oath that they had absolutely no recollection of anything. To which Captain Ross said, strong witnesses. And Kathy said, and handsome too, don't you think? That's not the kind of witnesses we're called to be. Just sitting there looking pretty, testifying to absolutely nothing. We are called to go out. And maybe you're thinking, yeah, but I haven't been doing that. Yeah, but I've often failed in my witnessing. There is hope. There's hope right here in this passage. But before we get there, we got to see what happens as soon as he gives his commission. And so all the great commission, all the appearing, all the road to Emmaus, all that's come to an end. And when he had said these things, verse nine, and they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. Now this, we were talking about this on the way home or was it the way to somewhere up to up and back to Vail. We were talking about Jesus was taken away on a cloud and there, I mean, literally and while they were gazing, I would gaze too. Like, where, where did that stop? Right? Like, you, have you seen the movie Gravity? Did he go th- like through the atmosphere and like the cloud just kept going? I mean, uh, we were, I, I don't know. I want to ask him. When that That's cool. He's going up on the cloud like, what happened when he got so far up? It's a good question. It's, it's an unimportant question, but it's a good question. That's what I would have been doing. You know, that guy went up in the thing and he jumped down to earth. Jesus said, What does it look the same? And here we are, uh, jaw dropping. And then there's two men over here in robes. As he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, <clears throat> I added that. That's not in there. Men of Galilee, mild rebuke here. Why do you stand looking into heaven? As if to say, Didn't you just hear all that he had for you? And so there's this ascension of Jesus. In, in 9, there's this amazement of the apostles and disciples in 10. And there's this assurance. It's a mild rebuke. Why do you stand there as if you don't know what you should be doing? Remember, you cannot know when, but you can know what. You're to go in the power of the Holy Spirit and spread this gospel to the ends of the earth, starting in your own city and working out. And this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. That is what you need to know about the end times. Jesus is coming back. Whew. And we can, we can dialogue all we want about how that's going to happen. But one thing's for certain, praise the Lord. Jesus is coming back. And so you get the exaltation of Jesus. You get this commission to his apostles, and then it ends with this devotion of his followers. Uh, Then they return to Jerusalem, to the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. If you're Roman, that's 2,000 cubits. If you're European, that's 1,120 meters. If you're American, that's 3,600 feet. Did you get that, American? It's three-fourths of a mile. That's all it is. Luke is a good historian. It's put there for good history. He's right in what he write. he is exactly right, R I G H T in what he writes, W R I T E S. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room and where they were staying, the upper room. You have two options again. Uh, you you get Luke twenty two twelve. This is the unnamed man in whose house they had the last supper, or Acts twelve twelve. This is the house of Mary. We don't know but we know they're in an upper room somewhere. But here's what I want to focus on. Look at who's up there. Peter and John and James and Andrew. And then there's a comma. Peter, the leader. The one who, who often was ready, fire, aim. Right? Right? I'll never, I'll never denounce you. Oh yeah, you will three times, actually. Jesus, this isn't going to happen to you. Get behind me, Satan. This is the leader, a flawed man. Jesus chose to lead the apostles. And then you get John. Everybody loves John, but did you know who John was in his younger years? He was a son of thunder. Should we call it? You want, I <laughs> I mean, can you imagine walking with Jesus? We know what you can do, Jesus. And we know with you, we can do all things. You want me to call some fire? You want a little fire down in heaven on these guys? But he grew in grace. He's known as the apostle of love. And James, this is John's brother. He was the first one killed in action, Acts 12 2. And Andrew, you know what his name means? Rugged, tough. He was an evangelist. You wouldn't have Peter without Andrew. Go back and read the Gospel of John. Andrew, Peter's brother, brought Peter to Jesus. It's Luke saying, Lawson, you need to go meet this guy. That's pretty cool. Those are just the first four. Philip and Thomas. Philip, lover of horses. This is different than the Philippine Acts 6 and 8. But he too, he brought Nathanael to the Lord. See, Christians aren't opposed to animals. We're lovers of horses. We're just opposed to making animals humans. Bartholomew, oh, don't forget Thomas. He went from doubting to devoted. Tradition says he was a missionary in India. Bartholomew and Matthew. Bartholomew, many think this is Nathaniel, and if it is, that's the guy who initially questioned, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, that's such a small, insignificant place. Could the savior of the world come from there? And Matthew, Levi, businessman, tax collector, good accountant, ruthless accountant, was a gospel writer. He was into friendship evangelism. He threw parties. You good at throwing parties? You could maybe be like Matthew. Invite people over to your house if you're good at hospitality. Invite them over, show them the love of Jesus, and then share the gospel. James, the son of Alphaeus, or probably James the younger, James the little. It doesn't it, is it younger or little? I I don't know. Jesus accepts all shapes, all sizes, all ages. And then you get Simon the Zealot. You see, here's the Zealot. Here's the bold one. One and twelve is called a Zealot. And Je- Judas, son of James, is probably Thaddeus. Thaddeus means tender. And so we have rugged Andrew and tender Thaddeus. It takes all kinds of peoples to be Jesus' disciples. And notice it says Judas, the son of James, as if I'm not Judas Iscariot. His reputation preceded him. But what you see here is a motley crew. Not to be confused with the motley crew right? You have tough people. You have tender people. You have bold, zealot evangelists. You have had one who'd rather throw a party. You have thinkers. You have uh, writers. You have leaders. You have followers. You have people of all ages. And not one of them were perfect. Not one of them was the perfect witness. Peter surely wasn't the perfect witness. Here's the leader of the apostles. The leader of the early church goes into a meal and he will eat with Gentiles, no problem. But when his Jewish buddies show up, he kind of, hey guys, I got to go check on some things. And Paul opposed him to his face. So here's your leader who was just having as much a fear of man as more of a timid Thaddeus. Not perfect. John, again, grew in grace, son of thunder, to write all the gospels and the epistles of love. And look what they were doing. All of these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer. How did the early church begin? It had a message, it had the gospel, and it had people who were praying. I say it again, I've said it again, and I said it again. If you can get here at eight, eight fifteen, it's just a little thing. Come pray with us. And if you need a scripture to support that, here it is. And notice they weren't just praying, but look who they were with. Together with the women. And Mary, the mother of Jesus. I saw a video this week of an atheist who hates Christians defending Christianity. And he said this. He was talking to Charlie Rose on PBS. And they were trying to equate. Imagine this. This is the world we live in. Trying to equate uh, evangelical, zealous Christians with ISIS on PBS. (laughs) And here's an atheist, here's Charlie Rose, isn't this true? Here's Bill Mayer, an atheist who hates Jesus and hates Christians, saying no, they're not even close to being the same thing. Don't, don't put them in the same category because Christians, if you're to leave the church, will not track you down and kill you. Christians, here's the point in this point, don't treat women as second-class citizens. And of Luke wanted to show you here. Ladies, they were an integral part of the early church. He could have left that out, but he put it in there for a reason, together with the women and married the mother of Jesus. Mar- this is the one who gave birth, carried Jesus. Right. If, if By the way, young men, if your mother carries you for nine months, you open the door for her. It's, good. it's a good thing. Keep it up. Right? She's there praying and, and following the lead of, of goofy Peter. And Jesus' brothers were there who originally did not believe in him. And so along the way, we don't see it. We don't see their conversion, but we know what happened. They're there. A bunch of motley crew people, all sorts of people. I could easily go through here, and I won't do it from the pulpit, but I could put names, your names, on this list. That is what we're called to do. And starting in verse fifteen, you see material not recorded in Luke twenty-four. And so, why is why are verses one? 1-14 through 14 here. Number one, it's a seamless transition from the work that Jesus was began to do to the work that we're still doing. And it's a blueprint for the church. Uh, you see the ministry of Jesus in His works and His words. That's all we're called to do. In what we say, proclaim, and how we live, He was always instructing. We're always learning. The kingdom of God. God is coming. His people are will be there the difference is notice there started in jerusalem and went to judea and samaria and to the ends of the earth there is no difference we might even go to the universe abraham kuyper says there is not a square inch in the whole realm of our human existence over which christ who is sovereign over all, does not cry mine ours is mainly planet earth but I'm assuming if something like gravity were to ever happen, you can share the gospel up in space. Have you seen that? That blows me away. to look da- They're looking down on the earth that we live in. Can you imagine being up there? I can't imagine being up there and not believing in something greater than myself. And they had a purpose to passionately pursue the glory of God for the never-ending joy of the next generation, to display with their lives and declare with their mouths the gospel from a life devoted to Jesus. And they weren't left on their own. They had the power of the Spirit in preaching the gospel. He enables us as we submit to him. And so that is the mission of the church. We're to understand the blueprint. We have a king. We're proclaiming his name. And there are enemies. And there is a territory. And we don't go with guns. We go with the message. We go with the gospel. We are uh, if you wanted to see the work in pro- progress, we're to understand the blueprint and we're to build this kingdom here. I think that's going to be our theme song for this series. Build this kingdom here. Because if you were to go to Acts 28, 31, it just abruptly ends and it, it's kind of like the book of Jonah. You're asking, well, what happens next? We're what happens next. And you say, okay, how do I do this? That's a great question. How do I... Proclaim the kingdom of God, working with G- in the ministry of Jesus by the power of the Spirit on mission with the church. The perfect Trinity working with imperfect but gifted people to bring the truth to the world. How do you do this? Well, there's three ways. And I hope, I hope what I present today uh, frees you, frees you, that you walk in freedom in the Christian life, that we don't become accidental Pharisees, You know, not meaning to, but then all of a sudden we run by all these uh, laws that we've made up. There are three ways to discern how am I personally supposed to build his kingdom here. Uh, The majority view, the majority of what Christians hold to, you could call it the traditional view, believe there's a specific and detailed plan for their life, but it's not revealed in the Bible and therefore they have to figure it out. And we spend our time trying to figure out, am am I in God's fourth plan for me or fifth plan for me? It's as if God were a landlord and went on uh, vacation to Africa and he left instructions to take care of his home. And we read the instructions, but we're always quite just wondering, are are we doing it right? Are we doing it uh, the way he would have it? That's one view. Uh, The second view is the charismatic view. They believe in a specific and detailed plan. They believe that God really does communicate both inside the word and the majority over the outside of the word but they they believe they put their feelings on what, they, uh, what he says to them over the facts of what he has said in his Bible. And so if the same God were to go to Africa and leave instructions for how to take care of his house here, uh, they'd always be waiting for a call from him. And I, I'll move when God calls me. And they never really get too much done because they're always waiting for this, this call. Or there's a third view, which I think is the right view, according to Scripture. There's the wisdom view that believes there is a specific and detailed plan. A, absolutely. But they understand Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord. the Things revealed belong to us. And, And we walk by faith, not by sight. And that, yes, God does communicate, and there is general revelation in the Scriptures, but the specific plan for our life, the specific way he wants us to build this church, he wants churches in this valley to build, are according to the gifts he's given us in line with the scriptures he's given us. So it may look different. And so we believe in God's best, but we're free to go about it. And we're, there's a freedom here because we're doing this, we're, we're building it according to the gifts that he's given us alongside the scriptures. The scriptures are our authority that, that guides us, and we use our gifts. It should free you. It should free you from ever saying, am I in the will of God? You are in the will of God. I don't know how many times I've said this over the years. You are in the will of God. If you're sinning against your wife and you're giving the bird to Jesus, that's not the will of God. But if you are following him as best you can, and you stumble and you fail and you forgot to read the word and you just didn't pray and you've been bitter, but you know and you've got to repent and you're angry and you know you've got to repent, you're in the will of God. He is changing you, He's shaping you, and he wants to build his church through you. Do you know your gifts? Do you know that do you, know, you, you have a serving gift or a speaking gift, according to First Peter 4: 10 and 11, All things done for God's glory? you're free. Should I do this? Should I take that? You are free, friend. Make a decision. Young kids in here, please let this resonate in your heart. Never forget it. You are free as long as you're walking in the guidance and the power of the Holy Spirit. Make a decision. And guess what? You may learn from that decision. And that's how God's building his kingdom. Through wisdom. It's the wisdom view. It's the most liberating. God guides us and we can build as he makes us wise. We don't need to look for weirdness in the Christian life. Mystery, certainly. Magic, never. The blueprint's been given. The kingdom of God is is taking over this world. It is. It's coming. Go Go to the bank on that. And the Jesus who sits at the right hand of God is still working through his church by the power of the Spirit. And we, we walk in the power of the Spirit. And, it, and I, Pastor Larry Osborne said this so wonderfully. He was talking about, somebody asked him about spiritual disciplines and he quotes you know, what he is according to the DISC model. And he goes, yeah, sometimes I memorize a lot of stuff. Sometimes I don't. <laughs> I was like, thank you. He has two questions. Should we be memorizing the Bible? Yes. Should we memorize lots of portions of Scripture? Yes. What's the specific plan? I don't know. But he said two things. One statement, one question. Is there, actually two questions. Is there fruit on the tree? True fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Is there fruit on the tree? And are you obeying Jesus? You mean, but but the pastor reads this Bible plan. Do I? No no no. You, you are, is there fruit on the tree, and do you love Jesus? And do you obey? Love Jesus. That is, are you obeying Jesus? Yeah. But he he memorizes. My wife and I have an ongoing joke about scripture memory. He memorizes this. I don't know if I can do that. Is there fruit on the tree, <laughs> and are you obeying Jesus? He's there early and. Uh, Is there fruit on the tree? And are you obeying Jesus? There's freedom in that, folks. There's freedom to build His kingdom according to your gifts in line with the Scripture. It will free you in your personal walk and how we build the church. He will come in the same way as they saw Him going to heaven. We didn't see Him going to heaven. As they saw Him going to heaven. Father, Until your son comes at your command, the time that you've fixed by your own authority, until he comes, you've left us with the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. I pray that we would trust you. We would not quench him and we would proclaim your son that we would be quick to find out where we're gifted according to the scriptures, and that we would obey, bear fruit, and display. And I pray for anyone in here who may feel like me sometimes, that they fail as a witness for you, but they run to that finished work of the cross to receive forgiveness, fellowship, And refocus their lives. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Men who are